The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Oh, happy Wednesday, everybody. You're watching Scorebox with Karen, Jeff and myself, Steve. And these are your headlines. So it's the end of an era, apparently, at Amazon. Jeff Bezos is stepping down from the e-commerce empire he helped form in 1994, handing the reins to the web services head Andy Jassy as the group turns an historic $125 billion in revenue. Shares in Alphabet soared in extended trade after the tech giant beats fourth quarter forecast, but Google's cloud figures reveal a $5.6 billion annual loss. Super Mario to the rescue. Italian President Sergio Mattarella is expected to ask Mario Draghi to form a new Italian government after talks break down between the previous coalition partners. It's my duty to make an appeal to all forces in Parliament so that they would grant the confidence to a high-profile government not linked to any political power. Banco Santander books a record annual loss of 8.7 billion euros as fourth quarter net profit plunges 84%, but the lender reiterates its dividend payout target. We're going to be speaking to Chairman Anna Bottom at 8.45 CET. And going out on a high, the Siemens CEO Joe Kayser delivers a strong start to 2021 as he formally hands the reins to Roland Bush, raising guidance after net income jumps 38% during the quarter. We will speak to Joe Kaiser at 7.30 CET. So much good. Good morning to you, by the way. Um, I, I find this Siemens chart, the one-year chart on Siemens, quite extraordinary, and I'm really, really surprised about what I'm about to. I don't look at every single company all the time, so we dip in and out. That's the truth. Uh, and this chart I haven't seen for a long while, but look at that. It's taken out not only all the lows of last year, but actually, I would say substantially higher. The year-to-date performance is up actually 14%. But if you look at it, the low of last year was around about 60 bucks. Oh, sorry, big one, 60 euros. And we're now trading at 133 as well. And, and the numbers are there to match it. Just on that chart, you know, it's very similar to the chart that the DAX forms. So almost identical. So Siemens and the DAX, of course, you know, the, the large industrial player, mm-hmm. of course, it's silly of me not even to think of it. But look, as Jeff mentioned in the headlines, these are really good looking numbers. I mean, like, really good looking numbers. So let me go through it. Revenues, okay, up 3% at 14.07 billion euros compared with 13.4 billion forecast as well. First quarter orders up 11% to 15.94 in the first quarter compared with 14.5 billion in the company gathered forecast, mind you. Look, they're not doing it at a compromise to the margin, which I think is important. I think the margin, I've always said to you lot out there, I think anyone can sell anything. Anyone can sell anything, but if anyone can sell anything profitably with a decent margin, that is a different proposition, okay? The EBITDA margin has gone up to 16% from 11.7% a year earlier. So that's pretty impressive as well. Look at this as well, net income. First quarter shareholders net income, 1.37 billion euros compared to 864 forecast by analysts. Okay, so I, I could keep going through numbers, but it's about the, uh, the outlook as well that we all really care about now. That's looking backwards. What about the outlook? 
now expects mid to high single digit growth for the full year up from the previous of three to five percent. Th these are big numbers. Mm. Listen to this as well. Um, expects digital industries to grow clearly above 2020 levels up from the previous view from modest increase. So clear growth from modest growth as well. Um, and digital industries, I'll just say finally, now expecting the 19 to 20% range margin as well. Karen, anything? That's the digital transformation story you're seeing come through into the profitability levels about the, the digital industries are clearly growing above 2020 levels and now what they're mm. anticipating on the margin side. So I, I think we've seen that trend and that many different corporates are pushing forward with those digital trends because of the pandemic and uh, that's uh, flagging up in the Zenith yeah, numbers many, too. Dare I say conglomerate time industrial business models um, fail to do that transition and fail to do it profitably as well. Look, I mean, look, we've got a brilliant, brilliant interview going on a little bit later on. Annetta's interview with the outgoing Siemens CEO, Joe Kayser, uh, in just uh, half an hour's time. And I know we've got guests queuing up and I know you've got Santon there, Jeff, but I want you to give a word on Joe Kayser as well, if you can, because uh, on what's going on there, because you've, you've been speaking to the man for longer than any of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think they're in a sweet spot for the kind of recovery we're having at the moment. We've talked a lot about the shape of the rebound from the COVID lockdowns last year. And I think K is the letter that comes to everybody's mind. And if you if you just look at the global PMIs that we chugged through yesterday, I think what you get a clear impression of is even as there is some moderation in growth uh, coming through in January from the December number, it is clear that those countries that are most focused on exporting, like Germany, like China, like South Korea, like Taiwan, have managed to hold up better than the others. And that, I guess, is just a broader reflection of what people like Joe Kayser are doing in their business at the moment, managing to increase their, um, uh, their uh, manufacturing even at a time where we're seeing the demand side of the global economy still weak here. So I think, um, you know, take nothing away from the management of Siemens. Uh, they've, they've managed to hold the line and, uh, and keep the business in that sweet spot. But it is just worth pointing out here that, as always, they are a benefit of a particular kind of cycle that we're experiencing at the moment because of pandemic uh, uh, lockdown worries. Uh, and I believe that we've got a, a lot of news coming out of the banking sector as well. And a great interview later on that Anna's going to be, uh, Anna, Karen's going to be leaving with Anna Bartan. Absolutely. Well, let me carry on. Uh, you flagged up uh, the, the Joe Kayser interview. So just to remind people that uh, we will have uh, clips from that. Let me talk about Santander here then, because I used to toodle off quite regularly, didn't I, down to Madrid and have that conversation uh, with Anna about the, the state of the bank there. And Santander this morning posting a full year net loss of 8.7 billion euros. That's the first ever with higher provisions and restructuring costs weighing on the Spanish lender. Net profit fell 84% in the fourth quarter, but the bank stressed it expects to resume the dividend payout once the ECB recommendations allow that to happen. Be very interesting to get their impression of uh, what the 
uh, impairment line is going to look like going forward. So we'll get, dive into that conversation as well. Coming up later then, we will speak to the chairman of Santander, Anna Bolton. That's a first on interview at 8.45 Central European time. Karen. And Jeff, let's get to the big news from the tech world overnight as Jeff Bezos will step down as Amazon CEO with AWS boss Andy Jassy set to replace him later this year. Bezos founded Amazon back in 1994, transforming the one-time online bookshop into an e-commerce and technology giant. He will become the company's executive chairman, but said he intends to spend more time on his other projects, including Blue Origin and The Washington Post. Shares were little changed in extended trading after the news. Now, the announcement, though, rather overshadowed Amazon's fourth quarter earnings report. Revenue came in at over $100 billion for the first time, topping $125 billion. Earnings easily beat expectations, while revenue at AWS, Amazon's cloud unit, surged 28%. Andy Jassy has led Amazon's cloud giant AWS since its inception, with the unit offering its services to external businesses back in uh, 2006. Revenue from the division represented 10% of Amazon's total sales in the fourth quarter and had around 34% of market share. The CFO, Brian Olszewski, uh, said he was pleased that Bezos would remain part of the company. We're also excited that Jeff will retain a very important role at the company that he founded and has guided for over 25 years. He has created a culture of invention and innovation that drives us every day. And we remain bound by our common focus and obsession on the customer. The release from Amazon suggests that uh, the reason for this move was just for Bezos to pursue other avenues. But it is worth noting you've seen very similar moves in recent years by uh, Alphabet's uh, former founders as well. They decided to to step away from the day-to-day running of the operation. Larry Page uh, stepping down as CEO back in 2019. This coincided, don't forget, with stepped-up regulation. And if you think about it through the lens of Amazon, this is one company that potentially U.S. regulators can go after because of existing law. It doesn't require too much more from lawmakers at this stage because you have antitrust principles in place that they could rake over the business model of Amazon and see whether there is a case around the market dominance. You're seeing very similar moves, of course, in the Chinese market around Alibaba. Uh, the other big technology giants requires a change to, to Section 230. So I wonder whether part of this is that they're putting in place somebody who may have to deal with a a much higher uh, regulatory scrutiny that could be forthcoming from Amazon. And that's certainly been something the analysts have been watching very closely for in, in recent months. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he saw off Trump, didn't he, as well? And they had huge battles as well. And, you know, one thing he has got, I think we've mentioned it up there, actually, he's the owner of the Washington Post as well, which has been, I guess, up there with The Times and CNN and uh, Times other press as well. Maybe even us ourselves, we can look at it as well, NBC, uh, as huge critics anyway, Washington Post, of the president as well. As well, so he saw off that kind of uh, political firestorm. But as you quite rightly say, there is another regulatory battle, many regulatory battles still to come, on, on whether it's dominance in various parts of their business or indeed taxation. Of course, and again, on both sides of the Atlantic globally, we spend a lot of time speaking to the likes of Angel Guria and others about the tax firestorm that's going to come down the pipe as well. And look, 
dare I say, he's 57. He's a young man still. You know, I've got into my early 50s now, so I still see 57 as very young, as does Jeff. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is, he's not even biting. Look, he's not even... Oh, here he is, the small smile. Uh, and does he know his envision? Oh, yeah, okay, he does. <laughs> and, uh, and the fact of the matter is, he is still executive chairman, so there's still going to be a lot, a lot of control for this business as well. Uh, and dare I say it, if I had $196 billion in the bank, I might want to do one or two other things with it. A bit like Jeff does with his fortune. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. I'll just make two quick points. One, um, you know, obviously we're all raking over the coals here to try and figure out what this means now for the direction of the Amazon business. Is it going to continue to be this big thrust into other parts of retail? Will they try and acquire more bricks and mortar businesses? Or is it perhaps about web services? And I think it's instructive that it's Andy Jassy who steps up to the plate here from the cloud business. Does that tell us something about how Bezos and the rest of the management team see the business moving going forward and where the margin opportunity is that you were talking about earlier? So I think that's just one point to make here. And the other one... Um, there is a terrific rivalry going on between uh, Bezos and Elon Musk in the space race. And I wouldn't be surprised if um, just part of this is about the fact that Jeff Bezos would like to spend a bit more time on Blue Origin. I mean, Elon Musk coming off uh, Twitter, all sorts of issues at the moment, not least the uh, big recall announcement from Tesla. And um, he has uh, had a few recent uh, failings as well with his rockets. So I wouldn't be surprised here if Jeff Bezos is looking at spending a bit more time on Blue Origin and how he could develop the space side of his interests as well at this stage. And basically, for, from what I understand in the rivalry, stick one on Elon Musk at this point, Steve. Yeah, good point, isn't it? Uh, creating that pathway to space that they're all seeking at this point. Uh, let's switch over to Alphabet because a huge focus overnight too on uh, what was uh, happening on the earnings there as shares surged over 7% in extended trade as the internet giant crushed Q4 expectations on the top and bottom line, boosted by a rebound in its advertising business. The Google parent also revealed results from its cloud business for the first time, with revenue rising 47%, but the unit posted an overall loss of $5.6 billion for the year. George Olstein joins us, global sector specialist at Schroeder's. George, I know you can't comment directly on Amazon, but you've been watching the, the changing of uh, the helm over at that company. And very similar moves I just pointed out happened at Alphabet uh, just over 12 months ago. What do you make of uh, any competitive threat or, or what those changes could spell for Alphabet? Sure. I mean, it's a, it is a very sad day. I mean, I, as you said, I think you will keep a lot of control. And this is a, is a regulatory kind of angle here in terms of stepping aside as CEO. Is it a direct competitor with, with Google? Google is trying to move more into commerce. Um, but as we can see, and obviously AWS and GCP are, are direct competitors. Um, but I, I think the market is so big in both areas for both of them that we're not going to see either knocking up against each other for, for quite a long time yet. Uh, George, I just mentioned the terrific after-hours response we've seen in Alphabet stock. Investors liked what they saw, uh, a beat on many different lines from earnings to revenue, uh, to the cloud, to, to YouTube ads. There are lots of bright spots in there, YouTube in particular, showing that the might around advertising. Was this just a feature of the pandemic that we saw this company win on the back of some of those trends? Or was there something more in the, in the earnings that encouraged investors, do you think? I think the, the pandemic has obviously accelerated a lot of effectively what is a digital transition. But what, what we're seeing uh, with Amazon, with Google, is 
these uh, advances aren't being given back, um, be it a consumer, be it an advertiser or a business using cloud. Once you've adopted that service, uh, it's such a great, unique service that you'd never go back to how everything was done previously. Um, so what we're now seeing is a compounding on the, the pull forward that we saw as a result of COVID. Yeah, yeah, let's just talk about that then. So what, what do you think is left in the tank here for these particular stocks to rise through the rest of this year, George? Because we're very focused on valuation at the moment and the various signs we're seeing of a potential top around technology at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely don't think that, that applies to Google itself. Uh, I mean, we look at these results, the, it's fantastic revenue growth margins expanding, cash flows expanding, um, and as I said, revenues accelerating across the board. And you look at the TAM here and across their in individual business lines, they're massive. Whilst Google itself is a big company, they still have decades of growth left, both in the cloud business and in the advertising business, which we see still has about a 1.7 trillion TAM. So when you think about the revenues today, we've, we've got a long way to go, and, and the share prices aren't that expensive. I mean, with the way you're thinking about it, on X cash PE, Google's trading on about 18 times 2022 earnings or a 4.5% EV free cash flow yield, which for a business is growing at the rate it is, is, is pretty cheap. And search was strong again. Um, I just wonder, you know, how long is it going to take for some rivals to, to really chip away at um, Google's search revenue stream, they, they just seem to be remarkably good at hanging on to this and growing it at this point, even as it looks like it's attackable. Yeah, I mean, these were astounding numbers. So they, they grew 17.4% in the quarter. And why it's astounding is what was uh, spoken about in the call is there is no travel returning here in terms of spend on, on search and travel makes up about 10% of search revenues. So to see this level of acceleration year on year um, is pretty impressive. And it means we've seen two things. We've seen, um, well, we will see further acceleration in the search revenues as travel starts to come back, as hopefully lockdowns finish. But then you've seen this digital transition and a, and a structural step up in the, no, in the number and the level of businesses spending online. Um, can other people attack it? Look, they have, I mean, outside of China, they have effectively an 85% market share in search. And you have a network effect here in terms of the more people use it, the more data it consumes, the better the algorithm becomes. And at the same time, every single website in the world has been optimizing for the last 15 years to return better searches to Google, not to competitors. So their competitive advantage keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, and it, it's effectively impossible to challenge this business outside of regulatory enforced change. George, good to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed for uh, giving us your uh, educated views on uh, where Google goes next as well. George Olstein, who is the uh, Global Sector Specialist over at Schroeder's. Well, Bezos out, Draghi in. Not the same company, of course, but uh, uh, coming up on the show, Mario Draghi now may become Italy's new Prime Minister. This as the country's president signals he will do whatever it takes to avoid fresh elections. More on the ongoing, yet again, political crisis in Italy after the break.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has called a meeting of top financial regulators to discuss the social media-fueled market volatility. Before moving ahead, though, with the meeting, Yellen sought permission from ethics lawyers. Reuters reported that she has received speaking fees from hedge fund Citadel, a short-selling adversary of the Reddit community, Wall Street Bets. Retail investors took a beating on Tuesday in their battle against funds like Citadel. Shares of GameStop plunged 60% to $90, but still remain up nearly 380% this year. U.S. Democrats in Congress have taken the first steps towards passing President Biden's proposed $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. The Senate voted to advance a procedural budget resolution, with the House set to follow suit. The votes could open the door for reconciliation, a process that would allow Democrats to agree quickly on aspects of federal spending through a simple majority vote, bypassing the need for Republican support. A quick look at how the markets have picked up on some of these themes. Uh, the focus on stimulus certainly positive for the markets. And don't forget, we've seen many different trading patterns where the market has seized upon further stimulus hopes to drive this rally forward. The other big point in the backdrop was around vaccines in the United States yesterday, with the Biden administration saying that it would begin shipping uh, some of the coronavirus vaccines uh, across the nation to retail pharmacies to try and bolster the rollout of the inoculation. So these themes certainly poses for the recovery trade on markets. The other big factor we had was technology earnings coming after the bell, all positive catalysts for the market. When it comes to market volatility, and you could see there was still some of it as an undercurrent, let's take a look at GameStop, AMC and BlackBerry, the three stocks that we saw move aggressively to the upside last week. But uh, we were questioning even yesterday how long a rally like this could be sustained, particularly if some of those Reddit traders were breaking ranks, looking at other bets, for instance, Silver, which had been one of the big beneficiaries at the start of this week. It may require selling in some of these names or any stalling in the purchasing activity may bring the rally to a stop. And so you did see some of that transpire in session yesterday, and particularly around gains stop with that fall of 60%. Uh, Silver, let's just take a look at the fortunes today. Uh, we continue to see a little bit of movement uh, to the upside this morning, about four tenths of a percent. But uh, we have seen a lot of volatility still in that trade. It was up what 1.4% early on. And we had a minor rebound from an 8% tumble the day earlier. And before that, there were gains. So it's been a very volatile ride for silver prices year to date. The movement, though, slim amid all of those gyrations, only up just over 1%. Steve. OK, let's move on from markets to Italian politics. The president there, Sergio Mattarella, will ask the former ECB president, Mario Draghi, to head a national unity government. The move comes after consultation with former coalition parties failed to create enough support for a third Giuseppe Conti government. Draghi has been summoned for talks later this morning. Now, delivering a national address, the president, Mr. Mattarella, explained how the political crisis had landed at Draghi's feet and warned against fresh elections. We are now facing two paths. 
to give life immediately to a new government able to face the grave current emergencies, be they health, social, economic or financial, or immediately hold early elections. This second path must be carefully considered. Elections are an exercise in democracy. In the face of this option, I have the duty to highlight some circumstances and allow us to reflect on the opportunity of such a solution. So Claudia joins us now. Claudia, a couple of observations. One, Mr Draghi hasn't always been the most popular man, of course, in Italy due to the fact that he has represented um, the ECB and those supranational bodies which have dictated terms to Italy over the years. The second point is all those Draghi speeches I've listened to over the years, they all say that monetary policy can't do it on its own. It's up to fiscal policy from the governments. Well, now he can do that, can't he? Well, he might be able to do that afternoon today. Um, as you said, uh, he hasn't always been the most popular man, but these days he would be uh, very welcome here, uh, considering the difficulties that the government has demonstrated to have in finding some accord. Um, this uh, majority, of course, you will remember, is not the most likely majority, with the PD and the Five Star Movement historically being on opposite sides, having worked together to try and stay uh, uh, united uh, again, for a third time, has uh, proven impossible. And there really wasn't any other uh, way that uh, the uh, president could uh, take this situation. As you mentioned, and as we heard, he really went out of his way to talk about the difficulties of going uh, to elections and how that would be a very timely uh, and, uh, uh, you know, difficult route to take. So there is no question that it's Mario Draghi uh, that would be the ideal person, even though, again, as you said, he would have some difficulties. Most parties do seem to be uh, ready to take him on as uh, uh, this uh, head of uh, this national unity government. There is, of course, the five-star movement that has said that they are not willing. But, you know, it's too early to say what kind of a situation will pan out. But just trying to make some hypotheses, uh, some of the names that have been running around, one in particular that, you know, concerns what we uh, talk about every day is Fabio Panetta, who is member of the ECB uh, executive board, is rumored to be, uh, you know, the candidate that Mario Draghi would be considering uh, to take on uh, the tre- you know the 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 head of the uh, treasury so that would definitely be uh, a figure that would be well uh, prepared to uh, work with the uh, reforms that need to be made with the, the um, you know with the european you know next generation eu money that needs to be uh, by april planned out so it actually you know of course comes at a really good time uh, you know the question is is this sort of the whatever it takes for italy we will see in the next hours if in fact Draghi is uh, the candidate that does then take on this national unity government, a result that really uh, we weren't really expecting about a month ago when this whole crisis began with uh, Matteo Renzi pulling out his support for this majority. Remember, that's where it all started, a small party, because he represents about 2.6-2.8% of Italians. Uh, We didn't think this is where it would go. Uh, This is where it ended up. Uh, Hopefully this will actually represent sort of a historical moment for Italy in which it is able to then uh, step up to the plate and, as you were mentioning at the beginning, uh, put in the reforms that Draghi so many times mentioned in his years at the ECB. He might now be the one who can actually put them into place. Steve? Excellent as ever. Thank you, Claudia. Well, it's never a dull moment in Italian politics, is it? Before I get to Siemens, I just want to talk about uh, a a stock which is in relation to it, i.e. Volvo Trucks today are talking about a huge, huge increase uh, in their uh, fourth quarter 
net order intake, up 61%. And the reason why I want to mention this is because we talk about the growth of the industrials on the back of a rebound in China, which is something that's boosting Siemens as well. But also, in North America and European truck deliveries, also much bigger than expected out of Volvo. So I thought that was very interesting as well, that for those of us who are out there going, well, this is all about China in terms of the growth at Siemens. And Siemens numbers, I should reiterate, have been pretty strong uh, that we've seen uh, in the last hour or so. The first quarter orders up 11% at 15.94 billion as well. But Karen, as we were saying earlier, it's, it's the EBIT margin, which is also very impressive. Yeah, slightly raised its annual guidance for fiscal 2021. So I think that's going to be key for markets to be looking for what's more in some of these stocks on the back of what's already been a very strong performance. And any uh, lifting of guidance, I think we're certainly welcomed by, by some investors at this point. Yeah, I mean, and again, looking at the shares, this isn't one of, well, let's wait and see. They have gone gangbusters up from their lows. I mean, I mentioned 60 euros earlier. I was doing the downside disservice. Actually, they got down another 10% to the, on the 19th of March, like a lot of stocks hit their low on that day, uh, of 54 euros. And you can see on the screen, ladies and gentlemen, they are now trading at 133 euros. Well, the outgoing CEO, Joe Kayser, um, spoke to Aneta, and he's very optimistic about opportunities in Asia and the United States. However, he was more downbeat about the short-term outlook for Europe. Let's listen in to Joe Kayser. What we see, especially in Asia and, of course, in China, is that there's massive demand, especially for those industries or for those end markets, which benefit a lot from people staying home. You know, like the gaming industry and the likes, and that's also where the export model uh, from China goes into the global world. Think about smartphones, uh, gaming and the likes, and that's where the biggest demand has been. And those are very modern industries. So they, you know, very automated lines, and they need a lot of uh, software, manufacturing software and automation. And that's why we have been benefiting uh, a lot uh, in that area. Um, Germany um, and, and parts of Europe, I believe, has been more a catch-up than anything else from the last quarters, which were very, very weak, especially in the tool building automotive area. So I would expect that to be a catch-up game and not so much a future growth uh, uh, play with uh, newly emerging industries. Uh, I think the biggest uh, opportunity definitely is the United States. I mean, they finally came to terms with their uh, political leadership. There's clarity there. The new uh, government and president has been acting quickly, especially on uh, structuring uh, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package. And if you look at it, it's a lot about public transportation. It's a lot about renewable energy. And obviously, those things need to be built. So it is about manufacturing. And those are the sweet spots of Siemens. So I would expect uh, the United States States to be the biggest opportunity, especially for our company in the second half of the calendar year and definitely in 2022. So what Janet Yellen uh, was saying to go big on spending, that's something positive for your company as well. It's very positive because it also, it's all about capital goods and investment into infrastructure. Uh, and as I said, renewable energy automation, manufacturing jobs is always out of automation. And you know, if, uh, if uh, the confidence again goes up uh, in, 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 the, in, in, you know, in the country, 
that means people are buying more cars and the likes. So that, of course, will then again stimulate, you know, our OEM partners uh, who are building uh, those things. So I'm a have to say I'm the most optimistic uh, in the future about the United States. It may take uh, you know longer than we sometimes wish because the money needs to be distributed. It needs to be put to work, and from a commitment on money to an order is typically you know there's some time in between. But then again, it's good to have opportunities while a very very powerful Asian uh, economy, especially in China, helps us uh, to overcome the uncertainty in Europe and. Uh, currently still in the United States. Well, it's nice to go out on a high, Aneta, and it looks like Joe Kayser is doing just that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we already knew from the preliminary figures that the last quarter was a lot better than previously expected. And today it's all about their guidance, which they hiked substantially for the new uh, fiscal year 2021. So I guess this is a very positive surprise for the markets. And we are already seeing shares up by 2.6% in pre-market trading. It's still very early and it's not very liquid, but still these numbers will be anticipated very positively. But still there are also headwinds for the company. And Joe Kayser is uh, currently concerned about macroeconomic developments, but also political developments, because a lot depends on how the future of the company will be on um, whether the trade war, for example, between China and the U.S. will be resolved at one point in time. So listen in of what you had to say about trade and a potential new order for world trade. We look much more, much more into the potential decoupling uh, between China and the United States. We are obviously concerned about uh, the debate on, uh, on free trade uh, and what that will do. Uh, we really would love to have this uh, conflict with Russia be a you know, clearer uh, direction. So that's actually what we look much more into because the United States is our biggest market with more than 20 billion in revenues a year. China is the fastest growing market uh, with the biggest opportunities. So we'd rather have clarity here on how the economic superpowers deal with each other and then eventually eventually find a new world trade order, which we need anyway, because if we believe that the Internet of Things, they're all, everything is connected, if that should work, we need to have an extraterritorial order on how we deal with that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.